Welcome to They Came From Outer Space, a radio program and podcast where we talk to filmmakers and film buffs about their favorite sci-fi film and how it relates to their own work and today's wild world. You can find us all on podcast streaming platforms and on Instagram at They Came From Outer Space underscore. I'm filmmaker Cameron Kitt, also known on WRIR as DJ Lilas, and I'm here today with Stephanie Monahan to discuss the 2013 art house film Under the Skin. So you hit the phone? Yes. I think I'm pretty. I like a gorgeous. Come to me. For those who don't know Steph, Stephanie Monaghan is a writer, film critic, illustrator, and researcher from New York City. She has a BA in American Studies from the College of William & Mary, an MA in Media, Culture, and Communication from NYU. Her work focuses on intersections of film technology, horror, and capitalism. She's a regular contributor to Screen Slate, covering repertory film screenings in New York City, and she's a member of the collective behind Spectacle Theater, a microcinema in Brooklyn. She's also written for Real Life, Lux Magazine, Brightwall, Darkroom, and more. Her illustrations are inspired by horror films, the occult, and socialism. Illustration clients include Verso Books, OCN Distribution, New York Review of Books, Motherboard, Screen Slate, Season of the Bitch, and more. I can usually find her sipping coffee and watching a midnight movie. Um, Steph, thanks so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. This is so exciting. So it's we talk. We're, let's talk about Under the Skin. Why did you choose this movie? I chose this movie because I don't consider myself a huge sci-fi buff, and I know that this is a sci-fi pod. Um, but I think that when I think about sci-fi, I always gravitate towards the more horror. Uh, leaning films of the genre and especially just I guess like not even the most um, tech heavy more of the um, alienation loneliness weird uncanny vibes heavy uh, sci-fi kind of along the 2001 Solaris you know Tarkovsky and Under the Skin I think was uh, I, I remember seeing this film in the theaters and not really going into it with any expectations and just leaving it feeling completely confused and upset in a really pleasurable way and just completely confused and rewatching it years later, I feel uh, the same, but even more confident that this is just a really amazing movie in the 21st century. Yeah, I love that this movie doesn't give you any of the answers. And I definitely think it's a direct descendant of Tarkovsky. And it's an absolutely fabulous horror film. So I'd love to hear more about your kind of film critic perspective on that. But we are going to spoil this movie. If you have not seen Under the Skin with uh, Scarlett Johansson, we're going to spoil the whole movie. But that shouldn't stop you from listening to this because some spoilage actually increases your enjoyment of the content. There was a study about this. However, if you don't want to know anything about the movie until after, you can pause it, go watch find it it's on hbo max and come back and listen to us on any podcast platform um with that said here we go released in 2013 directed by jonathan glazer under the skin is a low budget sci-fi that will make your skin crawl the story follows an alien played by scarlett johansson named laura in the script as she drives a white sprinter van around scotland looking for young men to coax into riding with her when she has one she drives him to her pitch black lair and lures him into a dark pool of liquid so she can take their skins as she continues this process, her boss, a motorcyclist named in the script as Badman, inspects and cleans up after her. 
But after a series of human acts of kindness, Laura begins to rethink her job and makes a run for it. Will she make it in the land of the humans or return to her own kind? Um, I guess I just wanted to start off by asking you a little bit more about the horror aspects of the film. What stood out to you? What did you like about it? What does it do well with the low budget? Oh, wow. Well, I think it does really, starting with just how this how this movie is filmed, if you don't know much about um, like the camera work and kind of um, setting you up for Scarlett Johansson basically driving around in a sprinter van and picking up unsuspecting men is um it was kind of a it was shot using like kind of hidden camera format so they constructed a bunch of ways um they as in Jonathan Glazer and his crew to rig a bunch of hidden cameras into her van so they could get all the coverage and all of the angles that they needed and they used a lot of non-actors for this film so it has a very realistic kind of sense of ScarJo is you know driving around picking up these random guys who are very believable like Scottish lads and she um she actually did drive around Glasgow and just talk to guys and like roll down the window and carry on a conversation with them and you know obviously she's very beautiful but she you know she has a very um un Scarlett Johansson-esque wig in this movie so perhaps people didn't quite recognize her and she did um talk to a lot of strangers on the street and that footage is in the movie but the guys that she ends up picking up are all amateur actors that they picked for this and um I forget who wrote about this but I read I read a review of this film that I thought was really smart about how one of the horrifying things about this is this is the sort of thing that if you're a woman walking down the street you would definitely not be accepting a ride from a man who was talking to you in his white van it's the sketchiest thing in the world but this is kind of um, a male fantasy that is depicted a lot in very low budget amateur pornography. And it's kind of filmed in a very similar way where there's the hidden camera and this beautiful woman pulls up and picks these guys up and, you know, with the pretense of taking them back to have sex. And instead she drags them into this very, they um, have swallow by liquid. <laughs> yeah. This, this like, black abyss um <laughs> which i don't know i mean which is funny because again not to not to speak for all women on this but you i think off the top of my head i could think of like 20 different scarier things with a man bringing me a strange man bringing me back to his house that could happen than just falling into a black abyss i think i would actually prefer that to um yeah. other scenarios yeah it's pretty gentle <laughs> i i mean like I watched it with my sister, so it's the third time I was watching it, and she said, it seems like the l most efficient way to gather them with nonviolence. And I thought yeah. that was super interesting, because it's like, she just walks backwards, and they walk willingly, so it was the fastest and easiest way to just kind of gather up people, because I kept saying, why young men? Like, what is it about the young male skins that the aliens need? Like, I was very fixated on, like, where the skins are into play with the alien economy, and like, why? like that was really bothering me. I really do love the decision to shoot with real people and the th like apparently one of i watched this amazing documentary on youtube i don't know if you saw this the 43 minute behind the scenes documentary with all the different parts of the crew have you watched no, it? no that sounds well, amazing though it's a really great resource and they actually interview all the heads of the departments which i've rarely ever seen done 
and the the you know the camera team, the cinematography team had at one point ten cameras in one van, so you're getting real footage. And he said that the actors wouldn't know where the camera was, which is something that's very rare, right? Mm-hmm. So you're getting not only just more realistic pers- like action from some of these young men that it, you can't even tell if some of them are actors or not. That's how well done it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but also that Scar Scarjo can can kind of be more um, in the moment with her fake British accent. But yeah, I, I I think that was something that stood out to me. Is like she's so famous now as Black Widow that you can't imagine a world where even with a black wig people wouldn't recognize her. But this was 2011 when they were shooting, and she'd only been in Lost in Translation and a few other things, right? I mean, she wasn't as big at that moment when the movie came out. And I don't know. I'm like I I was shocked that no one recognized her. But I guess like of course you'd cut that out. Um, but like, I wanted to ask you about the ethics of filming people without their knowledge. A lot of this movie involved stolen shots, and I just felt like it would be a nightmare for getting clearance and, you know, the whole errors and omissions thing. Um, like, where do you fall on that line of like, what what is okay? Hmm. I mean, I, I don't know. I'm not a filmmaker, so I I feel like I don't I don't struggle with this personally in my own work. But as someone who studies the internet a lot, I feel like this is kind of an interesting thing now because you could talk about the ethics of including this footage or not getting clearance for it and now it almost feels like such a moot point because I feel like we're just in an era where if you're walking down the street um, it's almost a reality that you could just be in uh, footage that someone is taking that you're not consenting to and it's this thing that is kind of um just a a violation that is just sort of ambiently hovering over everyone's lives at all points now. Um, So, and yeah, and to your point, you can't really tell a lot who is an actor and who is not in this movie or who's, who's like an amateur actor and everything. But yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't considered that when I was watching it because now it just, it seems so quaint. (laughs) When they're going through the mall, I, all I could, you know, I'm, all I could think is like, did they get releases from all those people, or did he just steal the shots? This is a thirteen million dollar budget, which yeah. seems big to most people, but to me is magnificently small for mm-hmm. something with so much CGI and a big star and stuff. And it took them ten years to make and all that stuff. But you know, it it was something that Jonathan Glazer came to later on in production and said, like, when we realized that we should just use people in the street. From a from a perspective of someone who directs, I thought, oh my gosh, it's so smart to have her drive around and like that. What better way to get her into character than have her actually do it, right? Than to do it and pull men over and stuff. I want to come back around to the the theme though, and symbolically, you know, from the horror film perspective, that is very scary, right? To be lured in like an anglerfish as a man, and for them, you know, to kind of have that reversal of fear. And I I'm particularly really into the siren succubus selkie approach to this and I, I don't know if you had read the there's a apparently a big movement of people associating this with her being a selkie with scottish and icelandic tradition did you mm-hmm. read about that yeah like that they they like associate her a selkie is a seal that becomes a woman and then i guess kills or eats a man or takes him to her bed and some stories it's <laughs> like they live happily ever after and some stories it's not so great i personally love the idea that it's like oh what's sexier than a seal <laughs> <laughs> I'm interested in them living happily ever after. I have (laughs) read one selkie where it's like, oh, she turned into, I don't know where this was. It's like, oh, she turned back. She turned into a woman forever for whatever reason. But yeah, it's very rare. This movie is not very happily ever after. But yeah, I I guess this idea of her being a siren 
or a succubus really stood out to me on the third watch. Um, speak to that a little bit. That's interesting considering that there's, and I don't know, I, I very, you know, in a very cursory way, like read that people made these kind of mythological folkloric connections um, to her character, but not knowing any of the details about like, there are some versions of this story in which she, in which like the siren or succubus like decides to like become a human woman or something. But it's interesting in this film, considering that um, she's a, you're kind of wondering throughout the film, whether or not she's developing any empathy just from being around other people. And I would say that she probably is. And um, because um, if you haven't seen the film, like not only is she luring these men to this, house where she's like pulling them into the abyss but one of the one of the scenes involves um leaving like a baby on on the beach because the baby's parents drowned and she drags the the father the man who tried to help the father back to the house and she just leaves this baby on the beach which is a very kind of a savage thing to do especially you know very sensitive uh something in film that people are very sensitive to when you explicitly state that like, yes, this baby was abandoned or murdered, but um, she's an alien. So she doesn't even think about that. She's doing what we're led to believe is kind of just the mechanics of her job. And even though we're not really sure what the, the male skin is for is to your point, (laughs) but there's um, the key moment where this film pivots is when she picks up, um, picks up a man played by Adam Pearson, who's mm-hmm. a phenomenal actor yes. and, um, and decides to let him go yeah. after she looks at herself in the mirror. And she's, you know, she's kind of at this point in the film where she's wondering more about herself and maybe recognizing herself as mm-hmm. an individual and contemplating her body. And you're never really sure what conclusions she's coming to or what she's thinking. This movie is very mysterious in that way, but she, um, she makes a big what I would suppose is an emotional turn. If you can project emotions onto her character Deadpan face, by, yeah. <laughs> by letting this person, by letting this person go. Mm-hmm. So it is interesting considering that there is also this mythological tradition that we're drawing from of this, of this succubus, but, but she wants to be a real girl. Yeah. I mean, or something or real. Maybe. Something. Yeah. We don't know. I mean, like I find that, uh, to me, it weakens her, right? As the, if you look at the end of the film, she's weakened, turned into a human woman, and then, you know, sexually assaulted immediately. And yeah. So it's like as soon as she wants to become one, she's pretty much it's the horror movie plot. But I loved Adam Pearson's performance. That was his first ever acting performance. Like he'd been on screen before. It's very hard to find someone with facial deformities who will who wants to be on camera. But I was yeah, I was just so blown away by how good his performance was. And I have and I have to bring this up because you mentioned in, you know, you and I know each other through the Spectacle Theater Micro Cinema in Brooklyn and and Adam Pearson went on to um, be in this amazing independent film called Chain for Life by Adam Schimberg, produced by Vanessa McDonald. And those are two longtime spectacle volunteers. Cool. Um, from New York City, and he's also going to be in uh, Aaron's next movie, A Different Man. And I don't think that this extremely fruitful collaboration happens without Under the Skin and this wow. like breakout performance. But I had to slip that in there because so it just cool. it hits too close to home to not mention it. But really well, tremendous I mean, actor. 
Spectacle is a really cool place just to pitch it. It, uh, as Steph said, it's a micro cinema where it's completely run by collective members um, and it's completely non-hierarchical of the community. It's a really magical space where a lot of great stuff is happening when we're doing more and more Q&A. So look it up online if you'd like to visit. Um, but yeah, I want to come back to that. So the Selkies are said to have lived as seals in the sea, but shed their skin to become human on land. Skin. Selkies are described as being very beautiful in their human form and having great seductive powers. She doesn't, I mean, she has some seductive powers. She, you know, she kind of gently asks if you have a girlfriend or not. Um, but yeah, I think her, her turn is maybe the part that's, dare I say, more boring than the alien stuff to me. I'm, maybe it's just because I'm, I'm, I'm so sci-fi obsessed. But what's so cool about this movie is when you mention the scene on the beach, is what you can do with film, what you can do with acting and like the Korleshov, Korleshov effect is that you show her driving, picking up a man and then the next scene with the seat empty, right? You can read a lot into that. And the fact that she walks, there was an interview with Jonathan Glazer where he was mentioning that scene. He's like, when you see her walk past the baby, that tells a human more than anything that she's an alien. Like her disinterest in the baby and, and in general, what's happening with this tragedy with the family and the water. It's like one of the hardest scenes to watch in the movie, probably. Mm-hmm. Because as humans, we're just like overflowing with empathy. Like I couldn't watch, right? If it's, and she just like walks right past it. And then it happens again. Her boss walks right past the baby, like goes to pick it up. And you're like, oh, he's going to go. The baby turns right around. So he's really like hitting you over the head with it. Um, but yeah, I found that really powerful. And I, I didn't really feel like, you know, I, she gets shown the whole... I guess gambit of human emotions but for me it was more like she was questioning her work that's what I felt like like her questioning her job and like what she's doing and I found that really interesting like this is a movie about quitting your job that's what it felt like to me (laughs) um so what do you think okay what let me just ask you this why do you think she took the dead woman's clothes at the very beginning why do I think she took them? Yeah, like, did, she oh, kill, wow. did they kill that woman? Like, what do you think? Just that that's, that opening is really intense. And that's a pretty, I feel like a very horror opening. It's like he's carrying, motorcycle man's carrying a dead woman's body out of a ditch. Yeah, I mean, I guess my short answer is who knows. But the long answer is, I guess that depends on, like, what you make of the very opening of the film, which I guess I would interpret as if she's landing on Earth or... I don't know, coming into consciousness, that is like the start of her journey. So this is like, we need to find, we must find human woman and, and, and assume her, her identity. Cause we um, see a lot of them going into stores, right? And a lot of times it's like, Oh, I'm going to pick out an outfit. It's like, no, she assumes the identity of a dead woman who cries. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's funny. Cause I, I've seen this movie described by numerous people as the art house version of species which um, I don't know if you've ever seen that, but I've, yeah. I've I only no. watched that movie for the the first time ever, just a, a couple a couple months ago, because this was like I guess when it came out it was a very um, uh, I watched it with my my partner, who I guess when it when it came out when he was younger, this was a very salacious, sexy sci fi movie where they're like we're going, we have this female alien, and she is like learning how to she escapes the lab and she's learning how to be a woman, but she wants to breed. So she needs to find um, someone to impregnate her. So she needs to kind of like learn feminine wiles in order to seduce men. Mm -hmm. And this is very much like the extremely austere, cold, um, 
Yeah. Even even though she's seducing men, it's it's a very sexless yes. film. She's nude um, in the film and it's never sexy. Yeah. Like, I found and, that so powerful. And this is, you know, you, you mentioned that at this point in Scarlett Johansson's career, I guess this is kind of, you know, she had kind of her lost in translation, um, a few Woody Allen movies. I oh, think, yeah. Like Vicky. Girl with the Pearl Earring. Like she was, a, uh-huh. she was a star, but she was predominantly a sex symbol. Like she was yeah. known for being super hot. And this was the year where I think, I think Spike Jones's her came out just a few months before this film. Oh, wait, really? Oh my yeah. God, you're so right. Yeah. So maybe. it was, um, that was, so it was like back to back her and this movie where it seemed to be very self-conscious mm-hmm. roles that are, that are commenting on her image by either removing her physical image entirely mm-hmm. or presenting her completely nude in a very desexualized way and i mean obviously she's beautiful and she's nude for a big portion of this movie but mm-hmm. it is completely but her nudity is like handled very like you know the opposite of how she it's would be treated on a maxim cover yeah yeah, yeah. It's perfunctory, very her body is so natural her body has folds and blemishes the occasional curve yeah <laughs> yeah just yeah and and she's so desexualized in this film it's it's pretty amazing. Um, I'm not the biggest Scarlett Johansson fan, Me but she is she's so perfect in this film and so and utilized so intelligently that can't help but respect it. <laughs> yeah, when I first saw it, I saw it in theaters as well, and I was so glad that I got to see it in theaters. But I was like criticizing, and I was like, oh well, you know, if you want someone who can just look blankly, Scarlett Johansson's great, you know, because she. But you know, she now that I've done this research. This movie took a decade to make. She stuck around for four years of post-production. And when I watched an interview, she was the one hounding him. Like, she wanted this role. Yeah. They were they were looking at January Jones and Olivia Wilde. And, I mean, in fact, Jonathan Glazer didn't want a big star. But they said, we won't give you any money unless someone is attached. Um, but, yeah, she does such – I mean, watching it again, she does such a good job. And I thought that was really interesting that, like, okay, sometimes actors do have a role in shaping themselves. I would, I would argue that she's still predominantly – kind of a sexy symbol but i mean once you've played a marvel character i don't know i consider that like the top of your your money-making career as a film mm-hmm. as a star um so yeah she went from a movie with 13 million budget to a movie with 100 500 million dollar budget um but that leads me back to you mentioned species i'm so glad you did is the trope born sexy yesterday so i've been calling this movie born selkie yesterday because she is like she is born sexy yesterday, right? And that she, we, the opening of the film, we're like really being told that she's more or less coming into being. We're hearing her vocal practices. We're seeing things like eyes and form. So we're, we're kind of assuming she's maybe waking up, something like that. But in the very end of the film, when she's running away from her job, she meets a, a kind man who takes care of her and she basically doesn't talk at all, right? Which is another male fantasy. Um, is that like she's just like completely helpless and he can control and help her and he's very nice to her. Um, Talk about that duality, I would say, like between those two different versions. What stood out to you? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because I think it comes back to that kind of emotional pivot in the film when she lets Adam Pearson's character go, because she also seems to become more. 
she seems to become more interested in discovering like what is it to be a person um, in this body. There's a scene where she like attempts to have sex and then she just stops and then she needs she like looks at her genitals and as in like what you know what is this um which is so which is so funny it's such like um it's such like you know you're watching you're watching like a a child during like their anal stage or something where they're like what's going on down here i i just really wanted to see it but like my assumption was that she was more of a barbie you know that she like she's like oh i don't have anything that's like the what i intuited right is that she's like oh i don't have because she couldn't eat the cake right she just right. the cake right back out so it's like oh she doesn't actually have functioning things right? yeah she can't be a real girl yeah i didn't i didn't consider that totally um but yeah i thought it was more of just like what am i supposed to be doing with this but again we'll never know um yeah because he doesn't let you know that's for sure he doesn't let you know which <laughs> Which, I mean, again, I appreciate, but I would also, you know, many unanswered questions here. Um, the cake scene is so funny, too. That's such like, you know, that's that's the comical version of the leaving the baby on the beach because you don't understand the implications. This yeah. Is very, you know, she's like very delicately slicing into this piece of cake. And it's almost like you're watching. It's almost like you as a viewer are treated as if you've never seen a piece of cake ever it's the longest take cake. when she slowly lifts the fork i think it's like 25 seconds of her it's, slowly it's lifting so the funny cake. so funny it's just it's just like cake edging it's like these tiktoks where <laughs> you're like you're you're showing the viewer you're gonna you're gonna eat this cake any second and then she's physically incapable uh, of eating it but um but to get back to your original question <laughs> it is interesting how you're you're right she she becomes she becomes like a, a silent woman the more she discovers what is it like to inhabit this body. It's like when she's just driving around picking up men, it's like she has less information about, although, although she is seducing them, I guess, by inviting them, she's not really seducing them. They're just men who are responding to a beautiful woman, but she hasn't quite intellectualized why that is happening and she's kind of becoming more aware of that over the course of the film and it becomes a more frightening thing but but again you can't really tell you can't really tell what her um thought process and emotional reaction is to everything that's happening aside aside from you know um she is you know she's like being assaulted and she recognizes that it's that it's harm and she runs away as a result of that. But in terms of what she thinks is happening and why it's very unclear what she's thinking. No, she keeps the face pretty, pretty steady. That was what was so intriguing. Um, This is based on a book and like auctioning it. That was so intriguing to the author, to the director, Jonathan Glazer is that it's an alien story from the perspective of the alien, which is something we never see, but we don't know what she's thinking. And having watched this the third time, it's interesting that I don't feel this insidious intent from her. And when you realize that she's again, doing a job, it's like she's been doing her job and then she starts to rethink it, which is such a different perspective. Normally when aliens are presented as being malicious, they don't change their minds. (laughs) Like unless, Mm -hmm. you know, unless it's like a feel good, um, hearty film. I'm going to take a quick break. You're listening to, they came from outer space. We're talking about the 2013 film under the skin featuring Scarlett Johansson. I'm here with Stephanie Monahan. Hi. 
the next one, so. Cheers. So, Stephanie, what would you say? What do you, what would you say is the central theme of the movie to you? Hmm. I think the central theme is probably. I mean, this is this sounds so trite and overarching, but I think it really is just what does it mean to be human and what separates human beings from anything else, and perhaps the idea that is humanity something that you can learn along the way? Is it a performance that you can perform to get what you want? And it's so hard for me to not look at this movie through a gendered lens, even though Jonathan Glazer says that he wasn't really thinking about this in terms of a, you know, like a, a woman alien you know if the if the alien is a woman we don't really know the alien's gender but they're in a feminine body um but it doesn't really matter what he says about it because all of that stuff is definitely there whether he says it is or not it can't it can't not be when when the movie goes to the places that it goes i mean you can't not really think about the politics of what happens when you know, the, the thing that is being used to attract all the victims in the movie, which is the body of a beautiful woman, is then, you know, at the end of the film, if you haven't seen it, as she's running away from, as she's running away from her rapist, she is in the woods and she, you know, she peels the skin off. You're finally seeing under the skin. And I mean, it's such a, it's such a crazy scene, but he ends up just setting her on fire. So she literally removes, she literally removes like what the rest of the world sees as her value and her usefulness. And then she's killed. Yep. So also she wouldn't like give up her body, but yeah, it's like, you can't have a sexual assault scene and then come out later and be like, I didn't really think it was about gender. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like you can't, I I personally think that's, that actually is a weak point in the film watching it now where I'm like, yeah, I really could have done without it. And I read the script really interesting because so much, a lot of, you know, all the same beats are there, but a lot is cut out and a lot of the script has changed. Um, but the way that she's written about Laura is supremely effeminate. And then that's so that's so that's such a powerful scene. I, I can't find it right now, but it's like she's holding her skin. The way it's written in the script is that she's holding herself as if she's trying to protect her modesty. That was the line in the script. Yeah. Um, I all right, I need I wanted to ask you about that. What about this makes it a good horror film, do you think? Well, I think for me. For me, what's really resonant about horror is always sadness and loneliness and isolation. And this movie, this movie really has, for me, this movie walks a really fine line that is, that is tremendously hard to walk in terms of having something that feels very austere without feeling like totally robbed of emotion and feeling. And there is something about, you know, you think the horror is coming from the alien that is stalking people on the street and from the, you know, what you just mentioned as you don't know who people on the street are, you don't know who your neighbor is, something that is um, 
familiar but unfamiliar the the definition of uncanny but by the end by the end of the film i think like the horror is in very recognizable humans and the very scary things that humans do she starts the movie by you know she's murdering people throughout this whole movie but she doesn't really know what she's doing and once she starts to question it she starts to i I mean i guess we're projecting onto her what we might be thinking the whole time that um that she's perhaps starting to think critically about her job and what she's there to do which is a very human empathetic thing to do at the same time you are watching by the end of the film violence being committed on her by a human male and that pendulum switch from the fear of the unknown to the fear of the very known very every day is to me uh what's very scary and effective as just um any sort of genre film like i really just love genre films that are even when they have fantastic elements are rooted in an our everyday world and concerns and politics and everything even if even if this movie says that it's not interested in some of those things apparently the the book is and had more of a political statement to it that glazer wanted to sidestep um yeah which is i understand that decision for what he's doing in this movie and then there's also things where i'm like it's fine i still see these things these themes creeping through and i wish there was a little bit more but it would also it would also change the film completely and i really do like how it is for the most it's part good movie yeah it's yeah. it's interesting but that's what theory is right is like he can say it means something and i can say i can read it my own way that's the whole point of art it's like once it's out there i'm i'm reading it my way you and i both couldn't see it without the lens of existing as a woman in the world right and yeah. like the, this idea of like her reverse silence of the lambsing these dudes you know i just was like okay, i couldn't stop thinking about the van like the symbolism of the van and come into my van yeah and she's so beautiful and like men are always reaching out to her um the horror also yeah go ahead sorry but uh another another thing that is so you know the context in which you watch a film like this also this was not part of the conversation as far as as far as i know about the film when it came out but now when there is such when there is such like a right-wing moral panic around gender and gender presentation and and transness happening like i think that there's a lot of that in this film and Mm -hmm. especially with the what i would think would boil down to a lot of this very reactionary fear about what i think to some of these nut jobs is like the unknown trans person in their head is what if this beautiful woman picked me up in a van and she turned out to be something that i didn't think that she was they would burn and yeah and it ends with that kind of violence. And yeah. that is something that I did not think of at all when I first saw this, yeah. when I first saw this film and when I rewatched it to talk to you about it was just so clear to me. And mm. I don't, you know, I'm not sure if that was, if Glazer doesn't even, if Glazer says that he wasn't even really thinking about um, womanhood in this movie, then maybe he wasn't thinking about that as well. But, you know, the context around, the context around a film can change it throughout time in a really fascinating way that also makes this like a whole nother level of terrifying well said stuff that's i mean you can't say it better than that he he claims that what was really interesting to him was perspective but i mean 
something that took a decade. I'm sure all of these things were coming through, but that you could definitely read this as a, a trans film, right? About someone who is putting on the skin and identifying and then passing and living in the world and identifying and be completely becoming um, that woman. And then also getting the fun part of <laughs> what happens when you're a woman. When we watch something, you can't separate it from what's happening in the world and how that affects how you read things. Um, I actually lived in Glasgow for two months and I have family from Scotland and tons of family over there. Um, and it's really amazing how um, sad they made this country look, like how, be how like beautiful the place is. And most of the footage is very bleak, right? Like bleak and stark. It is foggy there, of course. Um, but the location scout had done years of work, maybe not years of work, looking for Eden because they wanted to compare at the end her being in an Eden and Jonathan Glazer said, no, they completely reversed that and looked for the opposite of that. So like she's contrasting. So I thought the locations and choice of locations was really interesting. The thing I wanted to talk to you about next is the poster, interestingly enough. I love this this um, documentary so much. It's just called The Making of uh, Under the Skin. It's on YouTube and it's 43 minutes. But they have an interview with Neil Kellerhouse, who did the poster, and he was like reliving the nightmare of making this poster. And he was telling, oh, I was talking to him saying, you had 10 years to make this and I had 10 hours. He apparently made the poster in one weekend wow. and went through. And, he, and in the documentary, you see every iteration. I mean, it's maybe a hundred different exports from Photoshop of like all the different things that he did in that one weekend. Oh, I got to watch this. That's yeah, awesome. you need to watch it. And so as someone who <laughs> makes a lot of posters, what do you think of the poster? What do you think of, what do you, th do you think it does a good job of representing the film? Oh, wow. That is such an interesting question. I mean, I personally love the poster. Does it do a good job of representing the film? I don't know, but I don't know what would do a good job of representing the film. I mean, if you haven't seen the poster, she's kind of, you know, it, it's Scarlett Johansson's face kind of, um, kind of, you know, transparently behind I guess kind of galaxy, but it's not like quite real stars. And there is kind of, you know, multicolored red and blues and greens in it. Um, it's very beautiful. Does it get at the themes of the film? I'm not sure. Um, I mean, it does kind of say sci-fi Scarlett Johansson. And then it has that red and blue glare that to me is just so quintessentially 10 years ago. Now, Jonathan Glazer did pick out the like screenshot of her face. So he did make it easier for Neil Kellerhouse by saying, here's the image you're working with. Now give me a poster. And he yeah. had some variations where like part of her neck is peeling and it's covered up. And then eventually he got to that. But I just thought it was really amazing. Like we never hear about the poster maker and how their role fits into a film. And he's like, yeah, I got to do all this advertising. I have to like sum it up. But, you know, that is a really big part of films is what the poster looks like and how that image drives you whether to watch the film or not. And it is such, you know, it's such an underrated part of um, part of movies. I mean, I, I do lots of hand illustrated posters and I think it's a real lost art. And, you know, I think people are already squeezed so much when it comes to budgets on the movies. And then it, I'm sure it just turns into like, this is the last thing that, that um, distributors and studios want to spend money on, but it's totally worth your time. And um, now I'm just going through Google Images, looking at all the fan-made like alternate posters for this film, and there's a lot of really great ones that I think kind of, you know, hint at what's going on in the movie, mm -hmm. uh, plot-wise at least. 
Um, but it's interesting. I mean, yeah, it's so it's so interesting that he had such little time to work on mm-hmm. this. And, you know, I think that's the story of a lot of poster artists. There's that famous story about um, the poster for uh, the thing, which was completed in, I think, under 36 hours, if not yeah. under under 24 hours. And um, the artist, uh, Drew Struzan, who's like an iconic um, painter and movie poster, said that he like shipped that off to John Carpenter with the paint still wet, basically. Yep. Um, and so it's I such like an iconic poster too. And, um, and of course you just, you, you whip up something this iconic. And I do think, you know, I don't think anything is that iconic of a film poster, but the under the skin poster, I, I do think is like fairly recognizable and very beautiful. Yeah, like I would, you know, it's so funny that Neil Keller House said in the in, in the interview is it's really easy to make a beautiful image. It's really hard to make a satisfying poster or like he said something along those lines, like it's really easy to make a beautiful image. And I was like, I was like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> is it really, when you think about somebody who works as illustrator, do you agree that it's easy to make a beautiful image, but hard to make a poster? I do kind of agree with that. I mean, and when I do posters for spectacle, um, the movie theater that we that we volunteer at, that is, um, you know, I'm not collaborating with the filmmakers on that. A lot of the movies are um, are older, very rarely screened, sometimes unavailable. Many of the filmmakers have passed away, and these are just, you know, fan posters that we make. And you're trying to um, show these older works in a different context to a modern audience and be be appealing and get people to um, watch something that's very off the beaten path sometimes not even considered conventionally good and it is really challenging to you know I love to draw faces and I love to draw just beautiful images and I'm constantly um, battling uh, between the two wolves inside of me of uh, making a beautiful image and making something that really captures what what this film conveys. And it's incredibly hard to capture what a film feels like. So that is something that I will I will credit the original under the skin poster with, where it's kind of this juxtaposition between beauty and abyss like beauty and coldness where it's just hints of scarlett johansson's face but definitely you know her a lot of her faces on the poster it is a selling point quote unquote but not in the way that you would consider um a conventional hollywood movie with an a-list actress using it to sell a film she's very much like hidden in the abyss in a way yeah. that does kind of now that we talk through it, I realize do accurately represent it's her own abyss. Well, and the st- I think it's it's important to remember adding the stars. You need to have things kind of you need to hit your audience over the head sometimes to be like sci-fi. Like I think it's important totally. for them to be like this is a sci-fi. <laughs> I mean, it's sci-fi really in the beginning and the end, right? The the middle is is a horror film, and the the it bookended by some sci-fi elements. Um, if you guys are interested in looking at some of Stephanie's posters that she's done in her illustration work, stephaniemonahan.com. M-O-N-O-H-A-N. Um, we're going to take a quick break and then I have a quick question for you after that. You're listening to They Came From Outer Space. We're talking about the film Under the Skin from 2013 and I am joined by Stephanie Monahan. Do you want to look at me? This isn't Tesco, is it? No. 
I noticed you looking at me before. Um, my question for you is, what is the fastest poster you've ever made? How long did it take you? Fastest poster I ever made. I mean, I generally whip them up pretty quickly, especially for, for spectacle. I, yeah, I would say especially for spectacle because I kind of have my format down of nice. I will typically take an image and that'll take up a big part of the frame mm-hmm. of the poster and then I'll just have the text underneath. So I'm just really going like this is my illustration that sort of captures anything. When I'm when I'm collaborating with a filmmaker on a poster for their film, it's always a much different process and lots of lots of back and forth. So like I've definitely turned around spectacle posters within like a 24 hour period. Wow. So but can you imagine doing it for a feature film with like huge distribution? That's just incredible. No, not in a million years. <laughs> I mean, like you could hear the frustration. The funny thing about this documentary is like everyone has this like slightly underhanded frustration still with the director. Like there's like so many little comments of like, well, but he needed it to be non-compromised and so I redid everything or like you know there's just those little like subtle things like this is what happens but your Mickey dog face poster is so good like it does I've been looking at it so much I'm like oh it's it's like fun to look at has good composition has like all the elements from the film in it but yeah I mean I guess I don't know films themselves film posters themselves have some general sets of themes i wouldn't say constraints but like there's general forms uh, i'm sure you've seen like the blue and orange thing where like every action film is blue and orange yeah um, but that's really <laughs> impressive as i i think people generally underestimate how long it takes to draw and make things so hearing you, when people hear you say 24 hour period that just like reinforces the wrong idea i think that people think that this doesn't take forever and is like a, such a labor of work sometimes because if you're doing it a lot and you're used to uh, and you have a process that's great but anytime i've sat down to draw and then try and finish something i'm like oh this takes about 700 times longer than i thought it would and i think people tend especially nowadays when you see so much stuff on tiktok of kids on procreate you said it's a lost art to do hand-drawn illustration um why, yeah. why I, is that I, a lost art <laughs> and i work and i work in procreate pretty much exclusively now for anything that is like client related it, it is you know like many artists has completely changed the way that I work. I mean, for the better, I think you're just able to get more gigs and do more work when you're able to make edits on the fly and everything, but it's, it's still a process for sure. And I will emphasize that when I say I've turned stuff around in 24 hours, that is completely voluntarily. Yes. With the, with the client who's no feedback. Like, yeah. Yeah. But I, you know, if you're, if you're an aspiring illustrator, like you absolutely deserve more time yes, yes. <laughs> and, and money and compensation and, you know, feedback and creative room and, yeah. and asking for someone to whip something up in 24 hours is a ridiculous ask, even though I'm sure it does happen more than it should, especially um, in, in film and independent film where budgets are tight. And I'm yeah. sure a lot of the frustration from the crew would echo a lot of things that I've heard from various friends who worked on yeah. productions of much smaller budgets than thirteen million dollars. I want to really talk about the music. Um, Mika Levy's score is just so incredible. They're a classically trained violinist, so they would use real real strings for moments where we're more real with ScarJo. 
Um, like for instance, when she's on the street getting picked up or anything that to do with more human emotion and then auto-generated fake strings whenever there's quote romance happening or seduction. Um, I really liked that choice. What did you think about the score? What stood out to you? Oh, I love the score. And I think, I think, I think this was their first film score, which is wild. <laughs> I mean, um, and, uh, so Mika Levy is from that band uh, Mikachu and the Shapes. Um, what? I love that band. <laughs> this is a band that's like known for playing um, vacuums on stage and like using yeah. a vacuum cleaner. That's so interesting. Mika. Yeah. Wow. Very, wow. Very, um, very experimental music. Lots of like non-standard tuning. Lots of, you know, as you mentioned, like found objects with vacuum cleaners and things like that. But I mean... And I think they also they also did the score um, for Jackie, Pablo Lorraine's movie about Jackie of the Jackie O biopic, which I think also has a fantastic score. I think they're um yeah, they're their score really takes you on an emotional journey, um, which is very necessary in in Under the Skin, because you know, Scarlett Johansson's performance is designed to not do that as much. So the score is really creating a lot of that, um, a lot of that rise and fall emotionally for the viewer. So it's really just fantastic. And Jonathan Levy, Jonathan Levy, Jonathan Glazer did not want to have any music, <laughs> which I, I have to laugh at because like, I, I generally don't like that when it happens in a film. Like I, I can agree for a certain amount of scenes, but I can't, I generally have a hard time with full films that have no music at all. Um, and he didn't want to have any music until the moment where the kind man plays music for her. Um, and Mika was kind of like, no, can we please play me? <laughs> like, like, just like massage and gently like worked their way in and got, and like, for me, it's such a big part of the film. Like the, the drum, this like single offbeat drum as she's driving around adds so much tension. And I think, I really do think a score is super important to the horror film aspect. Um, yeah, especially since, you know, repetition is a big thing in this movie because, mm -hmm. you know, you're watching her pick up multiple people or you're initially watching her just kind of talk to someone and not pick them up and then talk to another person, almost pick them up. And mm -hmm. you're kind of watching like her work day. Yeah. And, and I understand wanting to maybe let that speak for itself and just let it be tense and weird in its own way. But it's it's a lot to not have any music for kind of alerting you to like how strange all of this is. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of, you know, the movie is really, it might lull you a little too much if there wasn't, if there wasn't your score there. Yeah. I And I think I know from the documentary that it was a lot of work. It was like many months of back and forth. And I just really respect that collaboration. It's so funny. I can't believe I didn't know it was Mikachu in the shapes. Such a good band. <laughs> All right. So my last question for you, Steph, is what can we learn? You know, so as a film critic, your your perspective is so important. I think it is so important to have that kind of step backwards um, instead of being so involved from, you know, sometimes as a filmmaker, you can get caught up watching things and not pay attention to the film because you're so obsessed with like, when are they cutting and things like that. Um, what can we learn as low budget filmmakers from this movie? Oh, wow. I don't know how qualified I, I am to answer this question. 
Um, I guess like, what does this movie do well that you could recommend other filmmakers do on a, on a limited budget? Yeah. I mean, hmm. it's, <laughs> it's hard because what I keep coming back to is as the, the innovation with the camera work in this movie is kind of what we described as maybe having some ethical quandaries, but you don't necessarily have to do that in the same, in the same sort of way. I think it's more about like, even if the, even if the um, people that she's encountering in the movie were professional actors, um, there's still a lot of creative things happening with the kind of hidden camera technique to make everything feel very real and very raw. And I mean, you have Scarlett Johansson in this movie and it still feels that way. Like that's quite, that's quite an accomplishment. And I think there's, there's a lot that's happening, you know, and there are, there are effects that it's not as if there's, there's not an effects heaviness in this film. There are some scenes that are, you know, completely effects heavy, but the, the extremely natural environment and just putting you in the perspective of someone who's kind of an outsider just moving through the world, I think was something that was aided by um, this film having such a low budget and kind of like a thrifty outlook to it. So um, Stephanie, what are you working on right now and where can we find your work? More about you. Oh, wow. So um, one, I don't know when this is airing, but you said Thursday, but something, something I'm really excited about if you're in New York City, um, a week from tomorrow, so Tuesday the 16th, I'm giving a lecture on a horror film in the internet um, in Greenpoint, Brooklyn, which is part of the, um, it's for the Miskatonic Institute of Horror Studies. They're a really fascinating uh, lecture series, and they were kind enough to invite me to lecture as part of their spring session. So it's going to be really fun. Uh, and I think tickets are available online if you just look up Miskatonic Institute of Horror Studies. Wow, that's so cool. And that's that's the big thing on the horizon that I'm really trying to plug. But aside from that, I do have some illustration work in the pipeline. And you can follow me. I have a website, stephaniemonahan.com. Mm -hmm. And I try to keep that as updated as possible. But yeah. And also awesome. still regularly writing at Screen Slate. So, so that's cool. where you can find me. I, I will try to come to that. That sounds amazing. Horror in the internet. Um, well, Stephanie, thank you so much for coming on. You've been listening to They Came From Outer Space. And uh, see you later. Thanks so much for having me. You don't want to wake up, do you?